Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Yes, it is. Joan Esposito's show, and I'm Tori Ryder in for Joan. It's a pleasure to have spent an entire... I feel like we're starting to get to know each other, you and I. Like, for example, yesterday, you learned about my one more thing rule. Paul, who's at the controls, may not have heard the one more thing rule. So I will just let him know because he may be in charge of implementing the one more thing rule, depending on who can get to the button first. The theory, by the way, when you call... And this is an advantage of texting. You don't have to worry about the one more thing rule. The one more thing rule is that I would like you to give your best presentation to your best work, put your best foot forward, look fantastic when you call this show. And so it is my experience. I don't want to tell you how many years of talk radio that your best work is first and that that that, that one more thing, that's usually not going to make you look as good as the first thing that you did. So the minute you say one more thing, you disappear from the airwaves. And that's just that's just me looking out for you. So just know when you call that the minute I hear one more thing, you're gone. So so I just need to set the rules out here for people. Uh, And you know, we're coming to the end of the year. I will be here next week. Joan comes back and she will rejoin you on the 8th. I'm here Saturday for Edwin and then Tuesday through Friday for Joan. And uh, you know, you know, it's starting to look like the end of the year. What, What are the signs you look for? That, that it's the end of the year. Uh, the snow fence along uh, DeSabo Lakeshore Drive, that's one end of the year sign. The one that I watch for is is the omnipresence anytime you walk into a store of organizers. You go into Costco right now, you can barely even get to the salmon because there are stacks and stacks of file folders and storage boxes and uh, bigger storage boxes and storage boxes that theoretically you could probably sleep in if you needed to, all because they know that you will have made the resolution to get organized in the coming year. In my case, if they really wanted me to get organized in the coming year, they'd have to come to my house with like a giant dumpster. No, it's not that bad, really. I have to tell you a story that when I first met Save the Planet, my spousal unit, uh, he was very proud to tell me that he was so green and environmentally friendly that he did not even have to Uh, Use a garbage removal service. This was in St. Paul, Minnesota, where unlike in our beloved city of Chicago, you had to contract with a garbage service, which was, in my opinion, a horrible way to do things because you could have seven different garbage trucks rumbling down your alley at any given day, depending on who had paid for their service. But he had paid for no service because he said, oh, once a week, I just go by the gas station and throw in the little bit of garbage that's not green that I produce. And I thought, wow, this is one environmental wizard. Boy, am I picking a guy who really knows how to be kind to the earth and and live in the small environmental footprint. And I believed this until the day I went down to his basement. And that was where I found a dumpster full of stuff that you or I would normally throw out. Old lamps, broken furniture, dishes that never got glued together. You know, the stuff that you'd throw away. He never 
threw it away. So uh, I had to call and get a dumpster, literally a dumpster. Really? So the moral of this story is there. there's green in the new year and then there's like, what's realistic here? So if your New Year's resolution is that you're going to live a totally environmentally green life, I just encourage you to to look out for the basement or the attic. Somebody, somebody will have to go down there and deal or go up there and deal. Have you seen this um, Swedish death cleaning? I think it's a show. I have not watched the show, but uh, I have heard about it in Sweden when you get older it is customary <clears throat> it is customary to try to save your offspring near and dear delegated estate dispersers uh, the trouble of having to go through a bunch of stuff that that they have no idea what to do with it by doing it yourself uh, when you're healthy and when you can and the weird part about the Swedish death cleaning idea, and I, this is this is the next thing. This is first there was Marie Kondo. Now we're doing Swedish death cleaning. Why are all these people from other cultures? Why why is that? You know why it is? Because here in America, we have spent the years of our national formation learning how to pile up stuff, and it's good that we pile up stuff. Means we have stuff to give. Means when we have a busload of people coming here from the Texas border, we can go into our own closets and go, yeah, I've been meaning to get a, get rid of these warm jackets for, you know, that my kids wore 10 years ago that are in great shape, so I didn't get rid of them. I can bring these over. I can fit an entire apartment for an immigrant family uh, with the kitchenware that I don't use. So this is good. This is This is good. Um, there are, are children all over um, global South countries wearing our old T-shirts. And if we didn't buy that stuff, we wouldn't have to give away. Okay, I'm being a little cynical. A little bit. But it is, it is as you start the new year, important to sort of look around, I think, at what, at what you have, what you need, what you want. And the hard part is is realizing that your kids are probably not going to want the same stuff that you want. They're probably not going to value things the same way. If you are spending the end of the year looking through your household, or if you've done this in the past where the year is closing out and you want to be environmental and you want to be green and you don't want to throw anything into garbage anywhere and you think, I'm going to start dispersing this stuff. Have you ever been disappointed in, in other people's lack of interest in your stuff? Or have you found any great treasures or do you have any fabulous tips on how to become more green in terms of acquiring things and dispersing things. It's been a big disappointment in my family. We have a beautiful dining table, and and I called the big cutie, the eldest, and said, we we could deliver this to your apartment. And the big cutie said to me, yeah, but that's a good piece of furniture. And I said, that's exactly the point. And he said, I want crap from Ikea, and that way when I move, I don't have to worry about it. I can just give it away. I don't want to move a good piece of furniture. I'd have to be careful of it. I'd have to haul it up three flights of stairs. I don't want your good furniture. 
it's a disconnect. It's a whole different. It's it's a whole different way of looking at the world. People who are more green in some ways are totally more uh, disposable. I'm, I want disposable in other ways. So as we come to the end of the year, and we're going to have a little bit of year in review on the show today. I, I, we're going to do some legal review with my favorite law professor in a few more minutes. Also going to talk about some housing for the unhoused, possibly the migrant community that's coming to Chicago. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Mayor Johnson just decided to reallocate, I think it's $95 million in COVID money to the newly arrived people coming up from the Texas border. And so we'll do a little bit of of year in reviewing about some of that. We're also going to talk to somebody who has a great idea for recycling your ex-boyfriend or your ex-girlfriend. She 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 will talk about creating a network. I love people working collaboratively. She'll talk about creating a network of your exes, especially if your ex is a no good nick. And of course, you had to know we were going to talk about this. Nikki Haley and her strange take on slavery. And what the heck she did to her presidential hopes. We'll talk with a big fancy consultant who consults PACs and gets Democrats elected to Congress. All of that is going to be coming up. The phone number here, if you want to be part of the show, and I really do want to hear about your your greening of your lifestyle for the coming year. The, uh, the the number to call or text is 773-763-WCPT. That's 773-763-9278. Also, because we didn't get to talk about this yesterday, uh, how do you feel about the Secretary of State in Maine booting Trump off the primary ballot. I, I am not happy. I'm not happy because, not because I'm, I feel like she was wrong constitutionally or legally. And we'll check in with David Levine about this because I'm guessing he'll have a thought about this. But I'm unhappy about it just because it gives ammunition to Trump. And maybe that makes me a bad person for doing exactly what the Democrats are usually accused of doing, which is playing politics with the judicial system. I never wanted to play. Did you ever want to play politics with the judicial system until now? Now is when you want to play. Now is when you say, oh, for Pete's sakes, don't keep him off the ballot. Then he gets to say that we are conspiring against him. There's this little internal tug of war going on, like when you used to watch the Saturday morning cartoons and there'd be the little angel on one side going, do the nice thing, do the right thing. And then the little devil horns and the little circling uh, pitchfork going, do it, don't do it, don't do it. In my case, maybe in yours, I want Trump on all the ballots because I don't want to give him any ammunition. And I think that the people who want to vote for that fill in horrible name here, should have the opportunity to do it. But then, just like the Saturday morning cartoons, I think, what if we, what, what if this really means that there are that many people who want to vote for him? 
what what if this what if this really means that we're going to have a second president trump but it's funny because the the people who accuse the democrats of wanting a nanny state as far as i'm concerned this is the first ammunition we've given them we want to keep you from voting from an insurrectionist. We, we want to keep you away from the insurrectionists. So we're going to keep him off the ballot. And there's a part of me that says it may be legal, but I don't think it's right. <clears throat> I have always said that one of the beauties of America is you get to be as stupid as you are. In this country... You get to be as hateful as you are. You get to be as stupid as you are. You get to be as short-sighted as you are. There's nobody stopping you from from harming yourself. There's nobody stopping you from voting for someone who actually is going to work against your own best interests. But then again, like the Saturday morning cartoon on the other side, there's a little voice saying, that's probably not smart. People are, people are going to vote against their self-interests. You saw it before. You're going to see it again. So what do you think? 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278 is how you get involved on the on the text line. And I'll look forward to hearing your thoughts in moments. We are live, local, and progressive on the Joan Esposito Show. I'm Tori Ryder, in for Joan. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. 20 minutes after 2 o'clock. Welcome to the Joan Esposito Show. I am Tori Ryder in for Joan. Glad you could be here talking about whether you think that it was a good idea to boot Trump off the ballot in Maine. I think perhaps not. I, I would like to give the opportunity to his voters. Even, even it, Well, let me put it this way. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. It's It's old advice. But I think sage advice. Let's begin with, uh, and by the way, if you want to join us, the phone number for calling or texting, 773-763-WCPT. Also talking about whether you're going to be getting organized in an environmental way uh, this coming year. George, welcome. You're on WCPT. Thanks, Terry, and Happy New Year to you and yours. Thank you. Thank you. I'm afraid I'll have to disagree with you. The conservative legal scholar, uh, former Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals Justice J. Michael Ludig, is the first person to begin researching and advancing the position that the 13th Amendment applies in this situation. And uh, I thought it was what the 14th. Did, what is 13th? I thought it was 14th. What, anyway. I'm, sorry, I'm wrong. I stand corrected, but. Yes. Um, anyway, go ahead. What his, what his position is, is that the Constitution has three requirements for candidates for the presidency. The first is you have to be a native-born American citizen. You can't be foreign-born. Second thing, you have to be 35 by the time you take the oath of office. And the third thing, because of the amendment, is you cannot have engaged in insurrection or given any kind of aid, comfort, or support to insurrection. Well, okay, wait, wait, so, wait. Hold up, hold up. So 
So that may be true, but he hasn't been convicted yet, and, and, and that may or may not happen. And so what you have are a bunch of secretaries of state and other uh, administrative officials in various states just deciding that the guy is guilty. And he does have a right to due process, in, 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 whether we like it or not, and whether we've all seen for ourselves, you know and I know that there have been plenty of cases where if you knew everything, it would be clear that someone's guilty. But the legal system unspools in its own uh, charming way, and they don't get found guilty. And to punish the guy, um, as as horrible as I think he is, before he's been found guilty of that, I think is rather arbitrary. And I, I wouldn't want to see that. I really wouldn't. On top of which, I think it's dangerous. It just gives him ammunition to say, look, this is a conspiracy. The Democrats have found me guilty before I've been convicted of anything at all, and I won't be. So, yes, if proven true. But I, I don't I'd, I'd love to be able to just erase him from the planet altogether. But I just don't think we get to do that. And, and I think it's wrong to try. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Uh, this from Jennifer in Oakland. So, Tori, shouldn't we hold lawbreakers accountable? Well, here we go again with this lawbreaker. Again, he hasn't been convicted yet. And here's the other thing. We don't always hold lawbreakers accountable. There are all kinds of just let's just talk about the micro, micro, micro. You get pulled over. You're speeding. You get pulled over. You didn't you know, you didn't stop completely at a light. A lot of times the cop just says, you know, you were speeding. You know, you missed that light. And, and you're like, oh, gee, I'm really sorry. And she says, you know, just try slow it down. There are all kinds of times when you, you do something wrong and uh, you are not held accountable. That happens every day in a million little ways. That's the tiniest one I can think of. If a kid shoplifts something and the mom brings the kid back or the dad brings the kid back and says, you know, Susie pocketed an entire container of Tic Tacs and uh, is going to return it and apologize you could throw the book at little Susie, but you don't have to. We are throwing the book at the former president. And we should let that book go from cover to cover, in in my opinion. Plus, again, it just motivates. It just motivates his base. Let's go to Bob in Indiana. Hey, Bob, welcome. You're on WCPT. Oh, good afternoon. Well, I don't know. I... I kind of agree with uh, George that um, I think it's a mistake uh, not to keep him off every ballot in every country on this planet. But the other thing that, you know... Uh, It's the one more thing. I'm sorry. We got the one more thing rule there. (sighs) I'm fast with the one more thing. He wanted him off every ballot in every country on the planet. If only every country had ballots. If only they met something. This from uh, Chicago. This is a gentleman from the south side wanted to talk about. um, Wait a minute. Where did it go? Missed it. I'm not so good. Oh, yes. Here we are. Richard Nixon was never convicted of his crimes, but we know he did them. Right. We know he did them. He was never convicted. He was pardoned, which, by the way, is a whole other thing. If President Ford had to 
pardon President Nixon, then that pretty well tells you that you can, of course, be convicted of a crime while you're in office. So good luck to you, former President Trump, trying to prove that you had presidential privilege. And so when you're out of office, no one can do anything to you. Good luck with that one. We'll just see. Although, you know, I wouldn't put too much past this Supreme Court. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. Might not go as we'd hoped. But again, you know, just because you can do something, it's not always wise to do it. I know somebody who likes to say really unkind things to people, and her justification for saying this is, well, you know, I've got a right to say anything I want. Yes, you have a right. Is that wise? No, not particularly. Is it wise to keep Trump off the ballot? What are we afraid of here? Are we so hung up on implementing um, the 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 basic uh, strictures of the law um, that we can't let the greater system do its job? Are we so worried? Actually, truthfully, I'm so worried. <laughs> I am so worried, but it's still, you know, I have to put the principle first and say the man has not been found guilty of anything. And until he is, you can't say. Now, mind you, if he were found guilty of insurrection, I still think people would, they'll vote for him, his base will vote for him if he's in San Quentin. They won't care. Let's go to Lee in Evanston. Hi, Lee, you're on WCPT. Yeah, Corey, uh, Corey I'm sorry. Uh, um, I'd like to rebut what you said. Let me just say why. Uh, first of all, you're right. Uh, it makes Trump more noise than in the America, which is not a good thing. But that's the, that's the press's fault. You know, they love to get people to listen, so they play Trump, Trump, Trump. So we gotta shut them down somehow, but that's another problem. The problem with Trump, uh, I told Garland a dozen times that they should have arrested him on January 6th. Because you just don't overthrow or try attempt to overthrow a government and then walk free. It just doesn't happen, well, except he, hold in, up, Lee, uh, Lee, what, hold up. What, I'm sorry. Lee, hold up. He may not walk free, but it's too early to say yet. We just don't know No, he, No, he, he could be arrested because he, anytime someone is a definite threat, whether they're guilty or not, they go to jail. Then they determine whether they're guilty or not. Well, you know, if somebody wait, hold, shoots again, and kills hold, someone, hold on again. you don't tell. Hold tell, on again. Wait a okay. If somebody tells, okay. you don't get to tell me. Wait a minute. Um, that's just not true. Unless you're a danger, it's true that he would be spending more time in jail if. Uh, he would be spending more time in jail if he weren't the former president. That much is true. But we don't just put people in jail all the time, especially here in Illinois, where we now have no cash bail or limited cash bail. In a moment, you are going to meet someone who can really speak to this. My favorite legal expert, University of California at Hastings Law School, Professor David Levine. We'll be checking in with him in just a little bit. I'm getting tough now. You give me Jones show for a week. I start to t- I get tough on y'all. So you invited me. Just remember, you invited me. WCPT for Joan Esposito. I'm Tori Ryder. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. 2.31, Joan Esposito Show. I'm Tori Ryder in for Joan. Aren't we lucky 
No sooner do I say that I don't think that it's a good idea to start booting Trump off ballots than I get somebody who actually knows what he's talking about to talk to me. University of California Hastings Law School professor David Levine is my friend and also, fortunately for you, a brilliant legal mind, highly regarded by many in the profession, if not all. Hey, David. Hi, good afternoon. How are you? I am well. And you are in Hawaii right now? Is that what I'm understanding? I am. I hate to tell you and your listeners, but I am looking at the ocean off the shores of Kauai. I'm literally looking at the ocean right now. So I'm, I apologize. For looking at the ocean? It's okay. It's free of charge. Go ahead. Look at the ocean. I don't mind a bit. So we were just talking about uh, Maine booting Trump off the primary ballot. And, and my point about all of this was twofold. Number one, just because you can doesn't mean you should, because I think it will finally enable the Republicans who are saying these Democrats are out to get us and they'll use every trick in the book. And the other thing is he hasn't been convicted of of insurrection yet. So how is it up to a secretary of state to decide that he is guilty of this before he's been convicted in a court? How does that operate? Well, these are great questions, Tori. Let's let's look at it in terms of legal and political. Maybe that's the can can you do it and should you do it? Right. On the legal side, on the legal side, there's very good scholarship, uh, recent scholarship by some very conservative scholars who follow along with the Justice Gorsuches, the Justice Alitos of the world. They're fellow travelers with them, and they wrote very careful stuff, which I've read, saying, you know what? Much to our surprise. The insurrection clause would apply to Mr. Trump. Um, and they explain in great detail that, you know, the text of the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, the legislative history, the intent was exactly for this sort of situation. Uh, now, they argue, because there's no law on this, they argue that uh, you don't need separate legislation from Congress to create a procedure. To do this, uh, but but it's um, there are you know they say from the history uh, that it was meant to work exactly this way that a secretary of state or a court would order that somebody was ineligible and that would be you know that would and it could go up through the courts as as like the Colorado Supreme Court case is extremely likely to go to the U.S. Supreme Court and we should get a definitive answer. But in terms of the text, the history, the intent. Uh, around that section of the 14th Amendment, this was to keep Confederate officers, Confederate soldiers, out of federal offices, out of judgeships, that sort of thing, after the Civil War. And that's, that's what they were targeting. So that's why they talked about encouraging rebellion, insurrection, and the rest. Now, how, how wait, 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 is it hold, particular... hold up one moment go before, before go we go, go to the, sure. before Please. we go to the, the political aspect of this. Maybe sure. this is a political aspect of this. So then what happened with Michigan where the court said, no, you can't keep him off the ballot? Well, what they said in, I think Michigan and Minnesota and as a practical matter, California as well have all said, well, the primaries are a little different. The primaries are, uh, according to the rules of the parties, the state is running the primaries on behalf of the parties, and um, they thought that the constitutional provision did not kick in at that point. They're leaving the question open for the general election. Uh, Colorado Supreme Court said thought that under their own law of Colorado that it worked a little differently, and the Secretary of Maine 
says she thinks that the law in Maine works a little differently. But but in each of these cases, it's an interpretation of state law and the issue of the primaries and and putting it in context with the 14th Amendment. So it, it is unsettled. I mean, I, I what I totally agree with is the Supreme Court should step in on one of these cases and give us an answer. Just one way or the other, just let's get an answer so that uh, you don't have what looks like kind of this chaotic situation where, yeah, somebody in Augusta, Maine decides one thing and somebody in uh, Lansing, Michigan decides something else. So uh, you know, it ought to be uniform. If, if so, well, they booted Colorado's case out. Uh, haven't they? Uh, Michigan, for sure. This, no. The, no, Michigan said, I can't even keep track. You're right. It's chaos. Right. Uh, right. 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 Mi- Michigan said uh, that that according to Michigan law, uh, you you couldn't take Mr. Trump off the ballot for the primary. Okay. Under Michigan law. Okay. okay. And and the Colorado court just reached a different conclusion, interpreting definitively Colorado law, because the Colorado Supreme Court, as any state Supreme Court, is definitive on questions of state law. Right. But didn't so didn't these, the Supreme Court say then we're not going to mess with it? Is that did didn't Trump's lawyers ask the Supreme Court and didn't they say we're not messing with it? Or did I miss a step here? I'm having trouble keeping track. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think on that case. um that they've stepped in yet. I, the last, uh, unless something happened like this morning. No, 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 you're uh, right. You're I good recall, about whatever that right, is. What I recall is that the color in the Colorado case, uh, the, the, um, the party, one of the parties, the losing party, and not necessarily the Trump organization, but, but maybe the Republican party has asked for Supreme court review, but I don't believe the Supreme court has made a decision okay. one way or the other right. to hear it. There is another case out of Washington Washington, D.C., where the Supreme Court did decline to step in at this point. Maybe we'll get to that one, but that's different than this okay. insurrection clause. I question. am. It is awful. It is a total. It, I mean, the idea that the Supreme Court could prevent us from chaos, I think that chaotic ship has sailed. We're, we're getting close to chaos now. Um, California, I, I read, yeah, she's not going to, she could, but she won't uh, keep. Trump off the primary ballot. What do we think is the calculation for the various states? Can you be a mind reader? Right. Well, now I think we move from the legal to the political. Okay. Right? Because the political question, and the, or you know, as you said at the top, uh, the should you do it question. Right. Is is it will it just end up upsetting people so much? Uh, that it feels so anti-democratic, that it feeds into the rhetoric of they are trying to steal the election, they are rigging it, they are being unfair, as opposed to people are enforcing the Constitution according to their best lights, according to their best understanding of what happened after the Civil War. That'll be the competing battle. So for those who think that the rhetoric around uh, this is anti-democratic, this is unfair, will end up prevailing. That, it, that people who don't want Mr. Trump to be president and take this position say it would be better to beat him at the ballot box so that there's no question of what the right, you know, what the right result is, as opposed to getting people so riled up. Yeah, I, I'm there, I, although I am terribly, terribly fearful that he might win. Nevertheless, I, I I don't want anybody to be able co- to come back later and say, well, he would have won, but you kept him from the ballot, and therefore we don't really have the president we we voted for. Although 
you know, a version of that plays out with the Electoral College vote where Hillary Clinton got the popular vote and didn't win the presidency. So, you know, we could have jumped up and down and screamed and said, you know, that that's not fair. But the rules are the rules. The weird part about being a, a Democrat in the middle of all this is that it seems a lot of the time like when we are good citizens and play by the rules, we are beaten up with the rule book. Am I imagining that? Right. Sometimes it feels that way. That's for sure. Right. Heads I win, tails you lose. Yes. Yes. It's like you want to get down. At a certain point, you just sort of lose every shred of civility and you just want to get down in the mud with the with with the Trumpanistas and go, fine, you want you want to play dirty? Fine. But I feel like in a way, that's what this would be if we kept him off the primary ballot. Well, what would be? Well, but if if the Supreme Court were to step in. Because of the makeup of the Supreme Court, uh, this would have to be a decision where some of the conservatives, some of the, you know, the, the heroes of the right would have to join with the liberals to say, yes, this is the interpretation of the insurrection clause. And yes, these uh, lower courts or secretaries of state were correct. So it would be a decision that would not be, say, just the uh, judges appointed by Clinton or Obama. Uh, it would be with these other, and uh, Biden, uh, it would have to be with people appointed by Republican presidents. So that would ameliorate the problem, but it wouldn't eliminate it. That's no. for sure. Well, but especially amongst the conspiracy theorists, they would just decide that, yeah. you know, there was some globalist conspiracy that had right, done, right, right, right. That, done wrong things. Uh, Cynthia yeah, in Colorado. Kavanaugh, somebody got to Kavanaugh. Yeah. Yes, there you go. Somebody got to him. Cynthia in Colorado has a a question, so let's have her join. I think I can do this myself. Oh, no. Did I lose David? I think I lost David. Cynthia, we're going to take your question, then we'll get David back. This is not... Okay, I am... You know, I'm really frustrated with everybody hemming and hawing about uh, Trump. Either we follow the Constitution or we don't. You know, I mean, we can't pick and choose. Everybody always references the Constitution is the Constitution that we have to follow it, period. And who cares if their their base gets upset? Who cares? I mean, you know, I think the, the either the president, uh, Biden, or his uh, disciples yeah. need to get out. Someone needs to get out on the air and make a, a statement about the Constitution. Since we don't educate in schools anymore, history or civics. <laughs> well, there is that. Um, we don't yeah. educate. Well, David's back on the phone. I heard him chuckling. Uh, do, right. do, is there any place here, and, and Cynthia's on the line with you, is there is there anything that the, the president should be doing to explain to people how the Constitution works? You mean President Biden? I'm sorry, yes, President uh, I, Biden. I think he needs to stay about 5,000 miles away from this, just as I'm 5,000 miles away from Washington, D.C. right now, uh, because it would look partisan for him to do it. The people who ought to be taking the lead on explaining this are people like Judge Michael Ludig, who is one of the heroes of the right, uh, somebody who could have been a U.S. Supreme Court justice under people like Trump or George W. Bush, uh, and who has taken the same the position that Mr. Trump is not eligible. He's the one who helped make sure that uh, Vice President Pence uh, did the right thing on January 6th. Those are the kind of people who need to take the lead here. I don't think it would help 
for Mr. Biden to step out because he is the rival presidential candidate. Uh, I just I just think people who, uh, you know, who would be kind of trusted by the tried and true Republicans are the ones who have to step up and explain this. Okay, thank you, Cynthia. We're going to have you're going to. Thank you, Cynthia. So so essentially you want him hoist by his own petard is what you're saying. Let let his own. Yeah, let his the people who are supporters and people who are the people who have been in line with this movement to change the interpretation of the Constitution uh, ever since people under Ronald Reagan. Uh, Some people may have heard of the Federalist Society. Oh, yeah. How they've worked hard. They've worked hard to get people, their people into the courts. Well, the people I'm talking about are tried and true Federalist Society people, and they are intellectually honest enough to say, look, this is how I've gotten to this position, much to my surprise. Uh, but this is where I go. And those are the kind of people who need to step up to say, look, this is why this is appropriate. This is why this was in the Constitution. And here's why it is applicable. I just don't see how anybody else would have the gravitas uh, to do that. That's why if we got to the Supreme Court, I would hope that what would happen is that we would get a strong opinion one way or the other. Hopefully it would be a unanimous opinion uh, and that everybody would be speaking with one voice on this to say, here's why, whichever way, whichever way. Well, it everybody goes, but it Justice Thomas. We don't we don't care anymore what he says. He, we, <laughs> well, he ought to he ought to step away from the case. I mean, he ought he to the right step away from the court him. is what he ought to do. But that's just me. Right. You hold on. We've got that's some discussion for another day. Another day. <laughs> hold on. Uh, I'm going to also right. read some I of the, the texts that come in. Uh, thank you for your messages. Uh, your radio host sucks. Always love to hear that. Hi, Tori. I think the progressive Democrats should want Trump to be the GOP candidate. There is no way he could win against Biden. Terrible candidate. Any other GOP candidate would probably do better and be harder to beat. Well, I'm a little afraid of Nikki Haley, but we'll get to that later. So, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, Here is I I have no name to go with this. Uh, Oh, it's Robert. Anytime you let fear make decisions for you, you lose. I'm not so sure about that. That's a little cliche that I think doesn't always work. Let's just say you're walking on a wildlife trail and there's a bear. Your fear should make a decision for you. Just saying. Uh, Sherry from Chicago says, in regards to keeping Trump off the ballot, I understand your logic. But if we had not spent decades kowtowing to Republicans, we would not be staring into the face of fascism now. Well, there's a point. Or as I said, when we play by the rules, we sometimes get beaten up by the rules. We all know Trump will never be convicted. I don't know that that's true. I applaud Colorado, Michigan, and Maine for trying to do the right thing without consulting his base. Thanks, Sherry. More in a moment. WCPT, Chicago's progressive talk station. We are live local and progressive Tory writer or otherwise known as Your Host Sucks in for Joan Esposito. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. In for Joan. I think the guy with the extra pair is supposed to say, no, in for Joan. So I'll say it myself. In for Joan, Turi, T-U-R-I, rider like the truck. You can find me on the socials. You can find my podcast, which is absolutely not political. David Levine, professor, UC Hastings Law, uh, savant, also witty and fun, which is why we pick you among all the other, of all the lawyers, we choose you. We choose you. 
Yeah. And also because you're willing to give up part of your Hawaiian vacation to talk with us. Okay. Always a pleasure. It is my pleasure. So we're talking, so legally you're waiting for the Supreme Court to weigh in and you think that they've been nudged in the right direction. Let me just ask you, do you think the Supreme Court is reading the opinions of the Federalist Society? Do you you think they're reading any outside sources or are they like some kind of jury they're sequestered? Uh, well, they, they they clearly read the newspapers, and they are, and you know, the five six of them are certainly well uh, embedded in the Federalist Society. They continue to show up to meetings uh, oh, for, with them. Oh, oh sure. Oh, I yeah, didn't they know will that. speak. You know, they they will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. They will speak at meetings and all. Uh, so you know, so that so they are imbued with with that view. Uh, you know, that's why this this has. It has been powerful because you have people who are of the same mindset saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, this section of the 14th Amendment means something, and it ought to apply. That's, what, that's what's given this all the power. If you had had, say, uh, you know, a couple of liberal law professors writing the same article. Like you? And you didn't have, like me. <laughs> like like you. me, it would, have sunk with, it would have sunk without a trace. Uh. If I had written the same article, it would have sunk without a trace, and it would have been, oh, nice little effort, young fella. <laughs> Uh, and, and it wouldn't have mattered, but uh, but the power is because of the pedigree of the lawyer of the professors. One at the University of Chicago, in fact, uh, of the pedigree of those professors who are definitely you know members in good standing of the Federalist Society's way of thinking, uh, as well as Judge Ludig, who also is very much that way. But he stands up for the Constitution uh, in the same way that, say, Liz Cheney. You know, somebody tried and true in tried and true uh, Republican, uh, but in this case has stood up in her view of the Constitution. It's the same thing with Ludig and, and these others. Got it. By the way, is it not an astonishing feeling to regard Liz Cheney as your personal hero? Uh, I didn't think I would live to see the day. I have have different I have different feelings about her father. Let's put it that way. If I woke up in the morning and my my hair had all fallen out, my skin had turned blue and I could magically fly around the room, I would not be any more surprised than I am to find myself thinking, you know, I disagree with just about every political opinion you have, but. You you left your political life on the shelf in order to take a stand for a principle, which is so much more than people, most people in either party, either party would do, I think. I mean, I'd love totally, to believe oh, that. Totally true. I would love yeah. to believe that the Democrats are better. But, you know, we're people and we, we look after the main chance. I mean, I'm sure it doesn't hurt that she's already a bazillionaire thanks to her father and all of his machinations. I mean, she doesn't have to worry well, that she's going to be eating out of a garbage can for the rest of her life. But still. Well, that's true. But that's true. But, but you know, she was the number three person in the House leadership. She had a you know, shoe in to be reelected as many times as she wanted. She easily could have run for a Senate seat, probably could have run for president and the Republican Party if she wanted to. And she's given all of that up. Yeah, she she doesn't have to go on food stamps. I agree. But uh, she gave up an awful lot to say, no, this is not right. She even voted for Mr. Trump in in, uh, 2020. Twice. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 16 and 20. No, she voted for him. She's you know, but but she had the backbone and the fortitude to say this isn't right. And that's, you know, again, that's where Ludic, Judge Ludic is. It's the same thing. So it's a tried and true Republican, extremely conservative judge. 
uh, who just has stood up, you know, now retired, but has stood up and to say, no, this isn't right. Okay. Well, let's take one more call on this subject, and then we'll do a little legal urine review. And because I am not good at this, I'm going to have Paul put the two of us together. Hello there, Neil from Pearl City, Illinois. I don't think I've ever been through your town. Welcome to WCPT. Uh, hello. Um, this town is about, uh, I don't know if you know where Freeport, Illinois is. I do. I do. I, there. I've been to Freeport. Yes, I have. So you're right nearby. Okay. I'll have a look out yep. for it next time I'm in your area. Tell me your thoughts about okay. Trump on the ballot. You're on with okay. me and Professor Levine. I agree with you. He should not, or he should be allowed on the ballot in every state. But I also agree with Tom Hartman as to why. I, I disagree with, with you about why he should be on the ballot. Suppose he lose he lose he's on the uh, forty nine states except Colorado, and he loses because of Colorado. There'll be a civil war. But if his butt is well whooped in every state, that that should prevent something like that. He's a, a typical bully. You just got to beat him down. And I, by I, I wish I could believe every that. State, that could happen. Well, I mean, Colorado had some guts. They were the first, but it looks like they oh, won't yeah, be I the agree. only. And if there are enough of them, what, what do you think, David? How many states would have to keep him off the ballot to, to prevent this sort of fallout? And I'll, I'll thank you, Neil, and uh, take David's thoughts. Yes. Thank, yeah, thank you for the great question. Um, well, I think the best result from the Supreme Court would be an all or nothing result, meaning either he's eligible for the ballot everywhere or he's ineligible for the ballot everywhere. Because I really do think the scenario the caller suggested where it would make a difference one state and he's not eligible for that state really would be awful for the country. I mean, as a practical matter, again, we think it's all. Uh oh. We just lost David. Yeah, I don't know what happened. We'll we'll get him back. I th- I it is not. I would just like to point out we are not conspiracy theorists around here. We do not think this is a political. We think this is a technical problem. So we'll we'll try to get him back for you. Um, but I want to check out the the texts that are coming in while we are on the uh, subject. If the insurrection would have been successful. We wouldn't even be discussing this because we would no longer have elections. He needs to be removed, and who cares what his little base says or thinks? They already swear it was stolen. (laughs) Point there. Um, I think that no matter what happens in the election, I'm sure the orange Cheeto will insist that he won and that there was massive voter fraud by the Democratic Party that stole the election from him. And as he did in the last presidential election, he actually won. The MAGAs will all agree with him, and they will go to violence in the streets. From San Jose. Uh, This. I strongly agree with your caller from Colorado. Follow the Constitution. I'm tired of people cowering in fear because of the ignorance of MAGA and the violence that they might bring. Can I just say it's a soothing balm to be working at a station where uh, I am not the lone liberal (laughs) voice. I have been there. It's not so fun. Um, And I guess... You know what? We do have an opportunity maybe later in the show. If we can't get David back, maybe we'll be able to talk to him uh, later on 
today. Let's just see if we can do that. We are WCPT. Oh, hi, David. We ran out of time like from now, but I'm going to talk to you about maybe you have some time because I have some time and we didn't do our legal year in review. So I may ruin some more of your vacation. Okay. That's fine. You want to wait till over the top of the hour? Uh, No, I will tell you when. It will be a a time and a place revealed to you shortly and in private. I'm Jory Ryder and for Joan Esposito, WCPT Live Local and Progressive. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. You are listening to the Joan Esposito Show. I am Tori Ryder. In for Joan. You can find me on the socials. It's spelled T-U-R-I, Ryder Like the Truck. You can find the podcast. You can find the book and all that cool stuff. What you can find right here, right now, is someone who has taken a rather innovative approach to the migrants coming into Chicago and people who are unhoused in general and people who are unhoused as a result of natural disasters. I'd like to introduce you to Tim Swanson. He is the founder of a company called L3C. I have to ask him about that. In Internet L3C? I guess that's the whole name for it. Maybe you can clear that up. Welcome, Tim. You're on WCPT. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so what is it called now? Internet L3C? Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. It is Inherent L3C. Ah. So, uh, Inherent is just the right of privilege to invest in other people. Well, I have to say that sometimes when things get typed out around here, what <laughs> what it says is Inherent. So I, I was completely confused, and I'm glad you fixed that for me. I read about your company, and you'd think I would have remembered the name, uh, in Crane's Chicago business, because what you were doing was creating these micro-homes that were not just glorified tool sheds and and the beauty of these homes was that they really were um, at the same time private and individual they were also portable and they also uh, involved a community space and that I thought was really special you want to talk a little bit about um, this this idea this concept you have for housing people who need short-term housing like this Yes, absolutely. It's really important, right, for us, regardless of what housing you need, for it to be dignified, for it to be warm, safe, and secure. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a city uh, of Chicago and as a country, we face a 12.5% increase year over year in our unhoused population. And so what does it actually look like to get people back into safety and security? And, uh, And so for us, uh, and, and our primary business is, is around replacing the vacant lots across Chicago's south and west side with home ownership, meaningful work class, working class home ownership. And so we said, okay, maybe we can build smaller uh, and build better, right? Um, and so we know whether it is under the viaducts of our city, uh, outside of our police stations, or in some of our parks, um, that a cold Chicago w- winter is no place to live in a tent, and especially for uh, an individual, a family, uh, whether you're an unhoused Chicagoan or somebody that's been newly dropped off here. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that led to a number of conversations with the city and, and the decision to be a little bit more guerrilla, uh, to put uh, a micro home, uh, this 80 square foot, heated, solar powered, warm, safe and secure unit um, on a street corner and move into it with uh, one of my eight year olds uh, for a weekend to draw attention. Uh, to the needs uh, that so many of our, our fellow Chicagoans have. Which street corner did you pick? Yeah, so uh, after uh, evaluating a bunch, uh, a dear friend and the executive director of Chicago Children's Theater uh, said, hey, 
why don't you do it here? Uh, we're all about providing tools for children. And if you can have that conversation as well. And so we were at the corner of uh, Monroe and Racine mm. uh, just the week before Thanksgiving mm-hmm. uh, um, in, in the West Loop. So describe, and, and I'll find a picture and put it up on my socials, and I'll ask if they would yeah. also put that up on the CPT Facebook feed. Can you describe the, the miniature houses and, and what they have and how they look? And I'll just say that it has this really cute, tiny little front porch, which I thought was adorable. Uh, but describe describe the house. An 8 by 10 I mean, that's the size of, of your average bedroom, right? That's exactly right. And so uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. It had, for us and for our conversations uh, across demographics, the notion of it looking like a house is it, it, half the story, right? The dignity of that home-shaped space. And so... Uh, as we mentioned, it's about 10 feet long, 8 feet wide, um, has a beautiful, adorable little pitched roof siding around three sides, a little one-foot front porch, a window box underneath the window, um, and a brightly blue painted door. Um, and, and then right inside is a loft space with a full-size bed. Uh, space below that, uh, either for another full bed, maybe a couple of cribs, uh, a desk and some storage space. Um, and, and so really, it, it was about looking and feeling like home. Uh, again, whether it's 80 square feet, 800 square feet, 8,000 square feet, that notion of home uh, is, is really important for us. And, and what about power? If, if someone wanted to run like a little microwave on the desk so that they could, you know, make some hot cereal for their kid on a cold day, what, is there power yeah. enough to do something like that? What, what might be available for water, for bathroom, for all that? Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, from a power perspective, uh, we, there's a couple of outlets, one that has uh, USB chargers for devices, uh, enough to run a hot plate or a small microwave. Um, it's heated, so there's a heating element. Uh, my, my, my daughter, who is staying with me, uh, rolled over halfway through the first night because she was too hot, and I both got emotional and proud by the fact that I don't know that anybody sleeping out uh, at a street corner in a 30-degree night in Chicago ever complained about it being too hot. No. Um, so, so a solar panel on the roof can provide power to a small battery, or uh, as we like to say, and as we've talked with the city about, five of these could be plugged into a power strip and plugged into the side of a building. Um, 20 of these could be run off a generator. And so it was really about wildly efficient. Uh, the, the homes that we build in Chicago are these high-performance, high-quality homes. And so we said this should be the exact same thing. Very low energy needs, uh, very high quality. Bathroom? Got a bathroom? Uh, So these don't have bathrooms. They have a small composting toilet. Um, As soon as you add sort of water infrastructure, it gets even more complicated here in Chicago. Uh, And so uh, the vision and the model, the model that we've been in conversation uh, with the mayor's office and with the city of Chicago has been around this idea of 20 of these homes surrounding a community space, but that's laundry facilities, kitchen facilities, bathrooms, and showers. And so you put all that sort of complicated infrastructure into a single building so that each one of these can operate more like a, like a cabin, if that makes sense. So the composting toilet, I ask because I have a great interest in bathrooms myself. Um, what, yeah. what do you wash your hands with in this miniature house? Yeah, and so what we what we did uh, and what we proposed here is a small composting toilet, a small rinse basin, and some hand sanitizer. 
um, in the main community hub, ah, full bathrooms, with I see. full showers, uh, proper toilets, and, and sinks. And right, but like you that. can keep you can wash your hands in a little rinsing sink, basically. That's, that's exactly right. So in the middle of the night, uh, you, you don't have to venture too far to take care of it. Well, and that's important, not just for comfort, because you don't want to wa- walk out of your cozy little <laughs> house and brave the snow and ice of Chicago. But also, if you're talking about a community that has been through a lot or has perhaps that's challenges, right. it, it might not be safe to go walking to the community's space in the middle of the night. And, and these spaces uh, would appear to be um, not only uh, comfortable, but also somewhat somewhat secure. The doors you can lock the door behind you. Are there windows? That's right. Windows? Yes, sir. there's a there's a window. Uh, um, ideally, we're focusing on uh, in the future adding two windows, get a little cross ventilation, but sure. a window that you can open, but one that has limiters on it, so nobody can get in from the outside. As you mentioned, a steel security door. Uh, the power of a door lock. Um, again, whether you have traversed continents to get here or um, or have been in Chicago a long time, the, the, the power of a, a locking door, uh, I can't say enough about it, right? To give you that place where it's not just being warm when it's cold or dry when it's wet, but to close your eyes and to rest your head in the middle of the night because you're not concerned about uh, your well-being. And during the day, you can leave and lock that door behind you. Uh, um, and so we find this I happen to be sitting in Seattle today meeting with an organization called Sound Foundation. Their Hope Factory has, um, over the past year, has gotten 2,200 people out of homelessness and into solutions. And so so this idea of, of being able to lock a door behind me with my private possessions and, and go to apply for uh, social services or to apply for a job, that's so powerful uh, uh, for the communities that we're focused on. That's that is really. I mean, I I just sort of felt like there should be an angelic choir. You also it was also <laughs> mentioned in in cranes that these were were portable, so that if someone had their community destroyed by a tornado or a flood, uh, these could be brought in. About how many of them could you fit on your average flatbed semi? Yeah, yeah. So they are portable. Um, we like to say. Uh, and I'm going to put a caveat to this. They are fully compliant to Chicago's robust building and energy code, mm-hmm. uh, except for the fact that they are per city too small to be a residential living space. And, and, and we're finding a way around that with the city. Um, we can fit five of these on a flatbed trailer. Uh, they're also designed so that you could just slide them onto the back of a, you know, like a tow truck, uh, for example, oh. uh, and deliver them anyway. Oh, so, wow. Um, they, they, a, a little pallet jack, a hand jack. Um, can lift them up and move them around. So, so there's a lot of intent on building a robust home, uh, one that's well-insulated, well-secured, but one that can be repositioned and reused so that whether we're focusing on disaster relief or really trying to target where needs are, because we all know that those needs change over time and over location. And so the ability to reuse something uh, so that it's not a one-time only cost, but something that can be reused year over year, something that can last 20 years, uh, that's really powerful. Um, yes. and, and the redeployability is really powerful 
um, as so, we have to face natural disaster and social disaster. So let's talk about the cost because uh, Mayor Johnson, as you may have read, uh, just allocated or reallocated, I should say, $95 million, I think was the number, uh, from the COVID federal aid saying, you know, this is a federal problem. The federal government should be paying and this is federal money and I'm redirecting it towards serving the newly arrived migrants. How much do these... How miniature, what, what are they called? What is the charming name for them? Yeah, we, we call them micro-homes. Micro-homes. Um, okay, so what is yeah, the cost right. of the micro-home? So right now, um, in, in, in the first ones that we built, uh, they're just under $20,000. And so that is about $8,500 in materials uh, to be code compliant for the city of Chicago to have the fire ratings and the insulation. Um, and then the... the a couple thousand dollars to transport them and some of the permitting and service fees. Um, and then another about $8,000 for our workforce. And so our workforce is in North Lawndale. Yeah, well, we're going to get to uh, that. Hold, hold off on yeah, that for yeah, just okay. a second. Yeah, I, yeah. I want to talk yeah, with you yeah. about that in a moment. Um, how does that cost compare to the average FEMA trailer? Uh, so it's about one-fourth to one-fifth the cost of a FEMA trailer to house somebody. Uh, uh-huh. It's about one-fourth the cost for temporary heated uh, tents or placing people into hotels. Um, and so that was really important for us. Okay. Uh, we know that that price goes down. We've had a number of really amazing vendors and suppliers that have committed to donating materials for this cause. Um, and we also know that at scale, uh, in being able to produce many of these out of time, can significantly bring that cost down. Bringing okay. volunteers in can also help. Well. We're going to talk more about the, the the building of these in just a moment. So stand by and we'll get to all of that because, yeah, it's a big plus that Chicago may be the, the, the locus, the producer of these um, micro homes. And we'll talk more with Tim Swasson of Inherent L3C um, in a moment. On WCPT, the Joan Esposito Show. Tory writer in for Joan, live, local, and progressive. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Tory Ryder. 20 minutes after 3 o'clock, I am Tory Ryder in for Joan. And we are talking with Tim Swanson. He is the creator of Micro Homes in Chicago. His company is called Inherent L3C. And if that's too much for you, just remember he's the guy who has created these little 8x10 houses that are dignified, that are lovely, that have just about everything that a person could need. Warm, safe, secure, light, airy, um, accommodating fully equipped, and also centered around a community structure that allows for people to do laundry, take showers, do cooking, more elaborate cooking, and they are made here in Chicago. So, Mr. Swanson, tell me about how you're building these things. Yeah, so these uh, these homes are part of a, a number of homes that we build in North Lawndale. So we have a, a manufacturing facility, a high-performance manufacturing facility, uh, just off of uh, Polk and Cicero Avenue. Okay. Uh, the vast majority of our workforce, this is, it's really important for us. We, we believe that uh, people deserve a thriving wage, a wage that they, a wage they can raise a family on. And so we have just over 20 people uh, currently that work uh, on our production floor with us. Many of them, this is their first trade job they've ever had. Uh, they've come from Chicago Women of the Trades or Revolution Workshop 
or collective or other re-entry uh, job training programs. Um, and so for us, it's really important to build that next generation of trade workforce, to invest in that next generation of workforce for Chicago while building homes. Um, so, yeah, just uh, just on Chicago's west side is where these are produced. I love this. And especially like it, we've had women, Chicago women in the trades on. And I've had uh, I, I don't know if I've yet had the folks from the Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse, which is just merged with a different yeah. uh, recycling. They they take uh, youth and uh, give them training in various trades. So it's nice to see that there is a place where once those folks are trained, uh, they can they can work, support their families, give back. Back. And, okay. and you got started building not micro homes, but actually um, full size homes. So do you want to talk a little bit about those and the vision behind those as long as I have you here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so for us, we, we sit in a, a wonderful city that has a lot of vacant land, a desperate need for jobs and a desperate need for housing that people can afford. And, and so for us, we said, well, that seems like a simple equation or simple enough. Um, and over the past few years, we've been uh, really fortunate to acquire a significant number of vacant lots from the city of Chicago, uh, starting in West Humboldt Park and East Garfield Park in partnership with the Foundation for Home and Square and Home and Square and Trinity United Church of Christ down on the south side. We build really high performance, three bedroom, two bath, single family homes. Um, but more importantly than that, we, we believe that it's, it's not about building the house but about building home ownership. And so in our first community, uh, we've delivered about 10% of the 40 homes that we're going to be deploying there in West Humble Park. They are all surrounding an elementary school. Uh, so what that means for us is by the time we finish building out that first neighborhood, we will have added two classes of students uh, to the elementary school, brought more tax base and support. Uh, these homes are near Passive House. So this workforce a workforce that is primarily people, first-time trade jobs, and then led by really amazing uh, um, folks that have been in the, the, the Carpenters Union or have led their own carpentry companies for the past 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, they build homes that they themselves can afford to buy. And, uh, and so these use uh, very little energy. They're very well insulated. The materials that we choose are long-lasting because – Generational wealth through home ownership happens because you can pass that home on to the right. next generation. But let me just ask you, these homes, if I recall, and I may be mis- misremembering this, but y- you build the components at your factory in North Lawndale, and then <laughs> it's it's sort of like a modular home, but not quite. Is that accurate? You hit the nail on the head. So the entire first floor yes. and the entire second floor are all built in the factory. And so when they roll out the door, uh, flooring and cabinets... Uh, toilets and light fixtures, doors and door hardware, even the windows, they're all finished. Uh, and so it takes us just about six weeks in the facility to produce a home. We, we do two at a time. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I have a question. I have a question. I have a question. Yes, all right. So yeah. when I drive, I, I, I spill my coffee everywhere. How the heck yeah. do you transport a house with <laughs> cabinets and windows and toilets without having the kitchen sink handle fly over into the bedroom window? <laughs> Uh, well, fortunately, you and I are not driving these things. Uh, we have an amazing partner, uh, a minority transportation and logistics partner who uh, I joke with. Uh, they, I asked them to try to hit a speed bump, and they said we couldn't if we tried. Uh, we don't believe in speed bumps. We, we believe in transporting them. And so uh, they're, they're miraculous. They deliver these to site. A very large crane lifts them up. 
in a matter of three hours, the entire house is set on its foundation, and it takes less than two weeks for the masons to put up the, the brick on the front facade, for the siding to go in, and for us to get the certificate of occupancy from the city of Chicago. So very, very quick and efficient. Um, and built better because, to, to your point, these have to travel over uh, Chicago's beautiful roads. Oh, yeah. These have to be built incredibly well. And so, wait, wait, do they have basements? I have to know. Do you? Is there a basement? Because without a basement, like a lot of people just flip out. Is there a basement? Uh, so these homes don't have basements. Our first home with a basement is going to be uh, uh, heading out of the facility in a couple months. Uh-huh. Um, so they can have basements. Uh-huh. Uh, you know as well as I do the joy in Chicago. We have to have a basement, and then we accept that it floods. Well, so, I, I personally, um, by the way, I, I personally do not care for basements. But it, it, Chicago has like some weird religious <laughs> worship. Right. Of the basement. And I, I remember when we were moving back home, because Chicago's my home, from the Bay Area, I said to the spousal unit who came out ahead and was looking, I said, you're going you're gonna to see a lot of basements that, that look like high-tech movie theaters with bars built into them. And just they're so, just know that your wife is not going down into that basement. <laughs> I, will, right. I will go down if there's laundry to be done. I'd rather not, but I will. But other than that, the basement will be yours. And that was what he wanted. That he all, all he wanted to hear was, you get the basement. And he was happy. Wow. Yeah. Sold. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so the reason I ask for the basement is it's not for myself, you understand. It's, it's for other people who need that feeling of I, I have a place where I can go and she will never go there or he will never go there or they will never go there. And, and that's pretty much how, how it works in, in, or how it worked in, in our house. How much do these full-size family homes typically cost and have any of your workers purchased them and, and, and are they buying them themselves? Yeah. So, so let's start with the second half of that. What we committed to is that two of our employees, if they got together, should be able to buy the home they built. If that doesn't work, then we're not doing the math right. And so, um, we are, uh, we are the most cost effective, highest quality single family new construction in Chicago, uh, without subsidy. And I'll get to that in just a hot second. Uh, it costs about $390,000 to get into the home without, uh, subsidy and support for many of our buyers. Uh, we do a lot of work around homeownership readiness program. We work with neighborhood housing services of Chicago to do housing counseling programs. Um, and in partnership with the city and the county and the state, uh, for well-qualified buyers, we can get them into that exact same home for $250,000. Wow. Uh, and that's really important. That is, that's game changer for a household. That's game changer for a city like Chicago that, uh, that we, we lose population because people can't afford to have a home. And so, why not solve the most pressing issue that our city faces and do it in a dignified and sort of collective, collaborative way? Well, that is very cool because also when you buy an older home in Chicago, which is my Achilles heel, <laughs> the older home, it is basically yeah. like it's like a yacht that's on land. You just spend all your time <laughs> pouring money into it and you're like, but, 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 but I love it and it's historic and it's old, but most people don't have the time for that. They want a safe, secure, efficient, yeah. warm you know, working play, a place that works for them and their families. So that's great news. And you guys are, so what are you, a nonprofit? A prop? What are you? Fish fowl? Yeah, what are you? Yeah, we 
Yeah, we collected all the whole set. Uh, so we do have a nonprofit inheritance, which does a lot of workforce development and community investment. Uh, with that L3C uh, that we talked about at the, uh, the top of the conversation, that yes. stands for low profit limited liability company. Ah. Now, it actually doesn't limit any profitability. Uh, but what it does is it, it makes an explicit statement that says we're mission first. Profit can come and profit is how we power our purpose. But our mission is uh, to transform lives, communities, and generations through the power of home ownership and thriving wage careers. And, and so for us, when we do that, um, then, you know, it, profit is what it is. We believe that there is value in, in, in private businesses addressing a public good. Um, but want to make certain we hold ourselves accountable. Uh, I, I like time. that. And with 30 seconds that we have left, just tell me, how did you come to be doing this? Yeah, uh, this is uh, for somebody who has been blessed to have a roof over their head uh, and a roof over their kids' heads. Uh, for me, it, it was collecting the whole set of experiences required to really invest in Chicago, a, a 21st century view of Chicago that is the best of us for the most of us, uh, as many of us as possible thriving. We all as a city thrive and as a country thrives when the least of us have an opportunity to thrive. Well, we'll leave it there. And I thank you. And I'll keep following you uh, and watching to see how these go. Thank you very much for being on WCPT. That's Tim Swanson. He is the founder of Inherent L3C. If you Google that, you will see their micro homes, which may be. They may be the the magic solution to many of our unhoused populations, uh, challenges and problems. Let, let us hope so. In a moment, someone who solved a different kind of problem, the problem of having essentially an exploitive ex um, in a very creative way. You're, you're going to meet her in a second on WCPT Chicago's Progressive Talk. Live, local and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Suri Ryder. Oh, sweet. Well, one of the interesting aspects of having guests by phone from all over the country is sometimes the phones get odd. We are working on connecting Laura, Lara, sorry, Lara Morristar. Uh, she is, I was interested. She was one of these folks who turns up on your Facebook feed. It was interesting and writes interesting things. I did not know her personally, but I started following her story, especially when she created a network of exes and a concept that she calls sister exes. And she did this when it turned out that she had been, as many women are, Operating in a situation where uh, she had been unknowingly victimized by someone who was in a romantic partnership with her. So we do have her on the line now. Lara, welcome to WCPT. Thank you for, for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me tell this Oh, this, you know what? We're going to have to get a better connection. Something's gone wrong. I can, I can see. Is there a better place you can go oh. where we can talk to you in a better space here? I don't know. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, that seems a little better. Tell, tell oh, me, tell me how it came to pass that you decided that you were in a relationship that was damaging and how you decided to, uh, remedy that in in some ways by by your blog and coming public and uh, becoming public and also by connecting with exes the whole sister ex concept. So I'll I'll just listen to that story. 
Sure. Thank you. So I was in a relationship with a, a fella for about five years, and it was off and on, and it didn't progress from my perspective because I was comfortable with the way he drank. And it wasn't the kind of drinking I wanted in my life in a permanent way. Uh oh, we're losing the call again. You know what, Lara? We're going to try to connect again with you because there's we're having a problem here, and I want to be sure that we can hear your story. So, Paul, who okay. is running the board here, will will give it another shot. Um, and I hope that we can hear her story because it really is interesting. Uh, but I don't want everybody to be frustrated. You got enough trouble. Look at the texts you're sending me. This on, and we will, by the way, um, speak some more with uh, my favorite attorney, David Levine. He's going to come back with us at 4.30 and just talk about the legal year in review. But if you were with us at the start of the show today, he talked with us about the legal opinions behind kicking Trump off the primary ballot due to his insurrection mounting history. And I've gotten some interesting texts about that since since we spoke with David especially because I said I thought that they should let him sink or swim on his own and, and, and let that play out and not boot him off the ballot because politically it looked bad. So uh, these are the texts that are still coming in. I'll share with you while we attempt to reconnect with Lara. It's mind-boggling to hear Democrats against removing Trump from the presidential ballot that would be me, uh, while Republicans in every red and battleground state are using every trick on the book to disenfranchise millions of voters. They have already removed millions of voters from the rolls. They've gone on as far as removing Democratic election officials, passed laws to make it difficult for them to govern. They have even elected city managers to prevent Democratic mayors from governing. Excuse me. Uh, where are we? They eliminated ballot boxes in progressive areas. They've reduced early election days. They've tried to eliminate vote by mail opportunities. They're trying to impeach Biden while saying a bunch of lies to manipulate independents and undecided voters to not vote for him. And last but not least, they are funding third party candidates to substantially diminish Biden's chances to be elected. Trump doesn't need am- ammunition to say whatever the hell he wants to say because he is a liar. <laughs> well, That's true. His base of about 40% of voters will vote for him no matter what. Our disagreement is what keeps us divided and not speaking with one voice as Republicans do. Unfortunately, it only shows, oh, now wait a minute, cowardly and weakness. I am not a coward. I am not weak. I I just think that there's, you know, unless you have a constitutional right to do it, and even if you do, I just think, you know what? I'm going to come down in the middle on this. I'm going to come down where David came down, our legal expert, a a national legal expert for that matter. If the Supreme Court doesn't rule on this with all of its conservative majority, uh, there will be chaos. If there's not one rule for everybody, that's where I think the problem lies. And, And the rest of it, I partly agree with you. We're going to try to talk to Lara again. Oh, my goodness. I hope this works. Lara. Uh, okay. Hi. Hi. I hope so too. Hi. Can you hear me? I hope you can. I hope you can. So far, so good. So how? Did, so you, you you started out by saying the relationship yeah. that you were in on and off for several years was not progressing, yes. and it was because of the gentleman's drinking. It was not something you were comfortable with. You got increasingly Correct. uncomfortable with it, and then what happened? 
so then we went our separate ways, and um, and that that was the story of that relationship, as far as I knew. Yes. And then, very randomly, at a goth fest in Vallejo, California, of all places, I ran into a woman I have come to call my sister ex. Uh, it's sort of a play on sister wives. Yes, and it. And when I saw her, I recognized her from pictures and, um, you know, I sort of did the Facebook snooping about the immediate past ex when I was in this relationship. And I knew she lived in this town. And when I saw her, I just couldn't help myself. I got up and I went to the door of the cafe where I saw her walk in. And it was like a movie. I opened the door and she came walking towards me and I said, Susan, she said, yes. I said, I dated Chris before you did. And she looked at me and the first thing she said to me was, oh my goodness, I hope you're, I was, I'm so glad you're okay. And I thought, what does she mean by that? And I came to find out what she meant by that. We had a three hour phone conversation. We had a three hour dinner. And I learned that he lied, lied, lied to me throughout our entire five-year relationship. So what I thought was just um, his drinking that broke us up, it turned out I was being lied to and manipulated and played in ways I had no idea about. So let's expand from your personal story to where you have, you get the idea that there should be a a sort of a sisterhood of women who've, um, who've dated guys who are are really bad news and dangerous. And that that way they can keep each other safe. That, that is, if I understand it correctly, the the context and concept for sister exes. Could you speak about how that, how that immediate experience of yours broadened out and what you've done with it since. Sure. And and what I'm is by saying I was never physically insane. Uh Uh-oh, we've lost Lara again. Oh, Oh, no. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. What's happening where you are? Are you in like a hailstorm? Are you? It's raining, but I'm just in a normal with a normal phone. I'm not sure why this is so difficult. Um, anyway, go ahead. Anyway, so, 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 all right. I, I just want to preface this by saying I was not ever in any physical dangerous on that level. But I was so manipulated and under and the uh, you know what? I, this is. I don't think this is going to work. I think uh, unless we get a better connection, people are just going to miss your story. I'm so sorry. We will try again another time. I'm. I'm, I'm really sorry that it it didn't didn't work out. But we can't hear you. So, um, gosh darn. Um, and it's such a great concept that she has. Which, by the way, I was going to ask her because there's this. There used to be a website back in the day called Date My Ex. Date my ex-boyfriend. It was uh, women who were, um, they had dated a perfectly nice guy, but for some reason it just didn't work out. And so they wanted to give a good reference to their ex. I thought that was the most charming and in and, and solidarity and, and a feminist thing to do to say, this is a good solid guy. I can vouch for him. 
um, this is this, it just didn't work out because, because, because we're geographically mismatched or I had to move or I, ne- I needed a, a little bit more of this. You know, I needed a, a, an animal person. He's not an animal person. I needed a, you know, a night owl. I was always by myself because he's not a night owl. There were all these reasons why uh, people had to recommend solid, nice guys. And I knew so many solid, nice guys who would say, you know, I'm a nice guy. How come there's nobody out there for me, a nice guy? And you know, uh, I'm sure if you aren't this yourself, you know somebody who likes the bad guy. Or there are guys who who pick the, the women who are the, you know, the women who will treat them poorly. Um, and so it made so much sense for there to be an opportunity to um, to inquire or to say, you know, Joe is a, is a wonderful guy. And just because it didn't work out with us doesn't mean that you wouldn't have a wonderful time dating or even marrying uh, my ex-boyfriend. And so what I loved about Lara's story, and I'm so sorry that it didn't, and I can recommend her blog to you, and maybe there will come a time when we can hear her better. Um, but what I loved about her story was uh, she took this protective stance and she wrote a beautiful blog about the history of her relationship. And, and she went back several exes. And they all sort of formed, you know, it's not like they're all getting together for weekly meetings, but they exchanged enough information that not only is is the word out about this guy, um, and they actually passed the word that they were available to talk to his next person. And I was going to ask Lara how that was playing out because she hasn't told us in her blog yet, but it helped them feel less foolish maybe to know that plenty of other smart, talented, interesting, successful women had uh, been treated similarly by this guy. And I, uh, I think that that's important. I mean, I think that that's the, in, in a way, perhaps you would disagree. Uh, one of the things about building any movement, whether it's uh, ethnic, racial, religious, uh, gender-based, is that there, there's a feeling that we're going to look out for each other. We're going to support each other. We're going to promote each other. And that's, for many, the basis of community. And you may not want to spend all your time with people in your community, but you know you have that as a foundation. You can get back to it if you need to. Uh, in a way, uh, circling back to our earlier conversation with people who are houseless um, and our, our guest the gentleman we just spoke with, Tim Swanson, he talks about building these small homes around communal space and having communal kitchens, laundry, showers. Everyone feels this need. My most Trump-supporting friend about with whom I agree about absolutely nothing political, absolutely nothing, had this brilliant vision, I thought, for, for elders, a similar concept where where there would be very small domiciles that they could take care of but that the the main spaces would be communal it wouldn't be like a nursing home because there'd be a lot of private space but it would be built around the idea of low cost housing that they like a co-op you would buy into and the space would all be communal with some support 
And there are some versions of that, but they tend to be really, really expensive. And as he pointed out, uh, one of the hardest things about aging is, is the isolation it can produce. I just saw a study not that long ago uh, where people who lose their hearing tend to be more isolated. They don't. Uh, they lose years off their life because of the lack of a social component where they can't go out to lunch with friends because they can't hear the conversation or they can't uh, enjoy their uh, younger generations as much again because they can't hear the conversation. So recognizing the essence of uh, community as Lara did with her sister exes, I thought was something really really novel and significant. And I hope that at a future point, we do get to speak with her again. 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278 is the place to text me your thoughts. Uh, in a moment, um, we are going to meet, um, actually, I shouldn't say a moment. It's a few, We're a few minutes away from talking a little Nikki Haley. And this should give you time to just check out briefly how the slavery exchange went um, a couple days ago with Nikki Haley and her um, audience at a town hall in New Hampshire. You, you need to know how this goes so that we can talk about it in a few on WCPT, the Joan Esposito Show. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Terry Ryder. Oh, we are having fun. So much fun. It's been great spending the week with you. By the way, on uh, Saturday, I'm in for Edwin Eisendrath. That should be big fun. We're going to do a political year in review with my friend CJ, gossip columnist and a political blogger uh, in the Twin Cities. She's always fun. She's always funny. She always has a great take on politics writ large, the Midwest and its politics writ smaller. Um she will be with us. We we have several other folks. Oh, and our car guy, Tom Appel, is going to talk about the, the greening of the automotive industry and what is available uh, coming up in 2024. So if you're thinking maybe this is your year to do the green vehicle thing, he will be joining us. It's going to be a lot of fun on Saturday. And then all next week from the 2nd through the 5th, uh, we'll be here for Joan. Joan returns the 8th after her well-earned winter holiday uh we will be um we will be relinquishing with with some regret because you guys are fun um but with the pleasure of a of a grandparent who has come and uh, had a great time playing with the grandkids not that i'm grandparent age uh but it would it would be that same feeling of this this was great fun playing here on WCPT and now you Joan you you get to do all the hard work of supporting this talk show. Speaking of supporting the show, I want to thank Julia Chu who helps uh, who books the show and Paul Chavari who answers your calls and runs all the buttons here. Uh, those are important people think because they make it all happen. Coming up, uh, we are going to talk with Andre. Charles of Andre Charles Consulting. He does super PAC work and gets Democrats elected. But we're going to talk a little bit about Nikki Haley, who who inspires the most fear in me of any of the Republicans. In in weird part because 
in so many ways, she checks so many boxes. I, I have never. I take that back. I once voted for a Republican just to screw with the Republican Party. Back in the days when you in the primary, you had to pick a ballot. I voted for John Anderson just to screw around. And mind you, at that time, I lived in Wilmette. And the Republican ladies who greatly outnumbered the Democratic ladies, when I took that Republican primary ballot, if they could have killed me with their eyes, they knew what I was up to. They knew it. They knew the Democrats were out there to screw around with their election, and they did not like it. But shy of that, I've never voted Republican in my entire life. I mean, I, I could imagine there might be times when, like, if if we ever had the equivalent of a of a what's his name they just got rid of on Long Island the heck was his name Paul Santos. Santos right if if we ever elected a Santos and we've done that we've elected you know or an Ed Burke I, I might I might vote Republican but I've never done it I haven't had to do it yet thank goodness I have not had to do it yet however however there's just something horrifyingly box-checking about Nikki Haley, for whom I would never vote. But on, she looks she looks so appealing in so many ways. Took down the Confederate flag when she was governor of her state. Strong international chops. Knows how government works. And then, and then she trips all over her three-inch heels, and I feel like, oh, thank God she's not in my party. We'll, we'll play her massive faux pas. But before we get to Nikki in specific, I just have to ask you, as, as we are starting to warm up the primary season and, and putting Trump to the side, because what if he isn't allowed on the ballot? What if he is in jail? Who is the Republican who would scare you the most? Who'd be the one that you would be most frightened could take Joe Biden out in a in a head to head? Or is it Manchin you're worried about? Handing the election to Donald Trump. Put it putting Trump to the side though, which Republican scares you? It's Nikki Haley. She scares me. She scares me because she is a woman. She's a person of color. She checks a lot of boxes on on professionalism. She's worked hard. She's smart. She's fast. Look, here's the thing that we Democrats need to do. We need to quit viewing the opposition as stupid just because they don't agree with us. We need to be really smart about the fact that they're really smart. The worst thing that we could possibly do is underestimate the competition. In a weird way, I think that's what went wrong with Trump. Nobody took him seriously. Nobody took his constituency seriously. And voila. Look what we ended up with. We need to understand that this is a dangerous time and we need to take our opponents seriously even if we disagree with every little thing that they say or big thing that they say, and even if we feel that they have a massive disregard for intellectual acumen and uh, higher education and world experience, because in a weird way, 
they've made their bones by saying none of that stuff matters. They've made their bones by saying, you know, if you don't really care about these global elites, as they call us, if you don't really care about these academic elites, if you think we're being screwed over by people who think we're smarter than we are, vote for us. And guess what? That's a very cunning position to take. And it is working. It is working for them. Phone number to text or call 773-763-WCPT. That translates to 763-9278. I, I even read your abusive texts. I read them and then I laugh at you. In for Joan Esposito, I'm Tori Ryder on WCPT. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Turi Ryder. Tis I in for Joan Esposito, Turi with a U, Ryder. Like the truck, you can feel free to find me on my personal socials. And yes, I will uh, later probably Saturday, post uh, connection so you can learn more about uh, Tim Swanson, founder of Inherent L3C, the uh, company that is building the small, the micro housing for uh, people who need it. And uh, that that should be a good thing to explore. I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes, especially now we've got $95 million to spend on the people coming in across the border. Um how will our mayor spend it? This remains to be seen. Other things that remain to be seen, what will become of Nikki Haley? Joining us to talk about uh, the candidate's interesting performance, I guess it was night before last, at a town hall in New Hampshire. I'd like to introduce you to Andre Charles. He is uh, the owner of Andre Charles Consulting. They do super PAC consulting work in an effort to elect more Dems to Congress. Welcome, Andre. Thanks for being with me on CPT. Well, I am honored to be invited, and I'm really looking forward to this. And full disclosure, Andre knows my spousal unit, so you know we have this sort of personal connection. But then again, I also know all kinds of people. So, uh, But I don't know all that much about your consulting and how that works, and I'm assuming that you uh, are up to, up to date on that whole exchange, the Nikki Haley exchange, and I think Paul... Paul, do you have uh, the audio of that? Stand by. Here, here's how it came down in New Hampshire two nights ago. That's a good thing. On the cause of the Civil War. I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. And we, I will always stand by the fact that I think government was intended to secure the rights and freedoms of the people. It was never meant to be all things to all people. Government doesn't need to tell you how to live your life. They don't need to tell you what you can and can't do. They don't need to be a part of your life. They need to make sure that you have freedom. We need to have capitalism. We need to have economic freedom. We need to make sure that we do all things so that individuals have the liberties so that they can have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do or be anything they want to be without government getting in the way. Thank you. And in, in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. What do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, you've answered my question. Thank you. Whoa. Okay. That'll do it. Yeah. So if, if you missed it, the question is, what were the causes of the Civil War? And she gave that bizarro answer. <laughs> <laughs> that had nothing to do. I mean, I suppose she could have brought it back around by saying, and you don't have freedom if you are an enslaved person. 
she could have said that at the most basic level, the government needs to make sure that you're not chattel, but she didn't even do that. And and then she did the stupidest thing where she said, well, like a parent, well, what do you think? As if she doesn't know. So what, what did you make of that whole business there? Well, I'm going to bring things a little bit farther back uh, when I, when you're looking at previous presidential uh, primary elections. There's, sometimes there's moments that, that crystallize why a candidate did not win their party's nomination. I'm kind of thinking in 2000, Howard Dean's scream, or in 2011, Rick Perry forgetting the name of the department that he wanted to eliminate. And in both of those instances, there, there were a number of reasons why neither Rick Perry or Howard Dean got the endorsement, but it kind of crystallized why we're in those gaps. And this actually, I think, has a great potential of being the, the moment that people remember when they say, why did Nikki Haley not become the Republican nominee? Uh, because it's just blowing a simple question. There is a consensus that's widely held that the Civil War was uh, primarily caused by slavery because that's actually the case. And blowing such a simple answer really kind of shows that if you can't get the easy questions, you're probably not ready for the entire test. That, that's a good way to, to, to put it. And I, I think you've summed it up. Like if, if someone says, you know, why don't you put your hand on a lit stove? You, you don't give an answer about combustion and, uh, you know, energy prices and how uh, we've got infrastructure problems delivering natural gas to people's houses and we need more solar. You just, you just say you don't put your hand on, on the stove because it's hot. You'll get burned. It just do you think that politicians are so afraid of trick questions that they don't believe there is such a thing as a simple question? I think some politicians clearly do, uh, because especially when everyone has a recording device, uh, they assume that everything they say can and maybe will be used against them in the court of public opinion. And that's kind of true. But if you take from that, you need to be overly defensive and overly uh, obfuscate clear questions. Then you come, just come out as disingenuous, and that's ultimately going to hurt you more than any, uh, you know, potential of being yourself and being a little bit free. Because voters really like, uh, you know, authenticity. Yes, that did not sound authentic. That didn't sound authentic at all. The weird part for me listening to this exchange is that in her glorious moments, like when Nikki Haley just kind of lost her temper at uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the first thing about global affairs. She just spanked him like a misbehavior. She just rolled up a newspaper and smacked that guy right across the snout. And everybody cheered whether we agreed with her on, or not on the rest of her politics. So we know in a weird way, we know she's capable of, of better. And, and maybe that's why this was just I was shocked. Were, were you shocked? To some extent. Um, it is a typical response from someone who comes up through North Carolina politics on the Republican side. There uh, remains a lot of uh, 
Civil War contextualization, and I'm being putting it mildly, that kind of focuses on states' rights issues and really tries to let the Confederacy off from the simple historical fact that slavery was the primary cause of the Civil, <laughs> the Civil War. War. And, yes, yes, it yeah. was, yes. And that, that plays okay if you're looking for votes from a conservative South Carolina uh, Republican. The problem with Haley is those conservative votes are already spoken for. You know, they're, they're going for Trump. So she's maybe reaching out to voters who actually aren't going to vote for her, while at the same time alienating voters who may, moderate Republicans, independents. Uh, So it was tactically just such a a misstatement from what she hopes to achieve. Yes, that sounds right also. Um, when, When you say that she was hoping for the moderate Republicans, from my cynical perspective, she, she the, the moderate Republicans, I would think, are just so desperate to have somebody on their ticket who's not Trump that they might overlook it. Uh, or, or do you think that they will be equally appalled? Well, it's, it's interesting because I think it may make that her plan harder because one of the things it does is it relieves some pressure off Chris Christie from getting out of the race. A couple of weeks ago when it seemed – like Nikki Haley was firmly the only person who could theoretically beat Trump, even you know, in a kind of remote possibility in a one-on-one matchup. There is you know, some pressure, and I would expect it to build for Chris Christie to get out. Well, that pressure isn't going to be nearly as intense now when she just blows a really simple question that is talked about. We're talking about it. It's in the news. Uh, it's it's not going to help her chances of trying to be the anti-Trump Trump, uh, candidate. No, I think you you said it well a moment ago when you said all the people who would would be that, you know, slavery, that wasn't so bad. They're already voting for Trump or DeSantis if he's still in the race. Um, I would say in a weird <laughs> way, DeSantis sounds even more pro-slavery than Trump on account of he's run a southern state and has a history of this kind of revisionism and denialism. Uh, Trump just says whatever he, he needs. I, I'm not even sure. Has Trump, to your knowledge, spoken in, in, in any way to the issue of slavery as part of our history? I don't believe he has directly addressed it. Yeah, he's as far as I can recall. Uh, he has skirted the whole, the weird part is to say the slavery question, like as if it's a question, you know, gee, was <laughs> slavery bad or good? But it, it's, <laughs> this is an example of how far off normal, how how many bubbles off plum we are as a country. They're like, slavery? For or against? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I want to give our country some credit because it's only the Republican. Uh, I still believe we're a slight majority good people. <laughs> I hope so. I have to give full credit to uh, Patty Vasquez, who who is the host who will follow me. She had the greatest line the other day. I was listening to her show, and, and she was saying, oh, the Democrats are going to call, or the Republicans call and say, well, well, all those Confederates, they were Democrats. And, and, uh, and Patty said, yeah, all those statues of the Democrats, take them down. We don't need them. Go ahead. There are Democrats. Take them down. 
I love that. She's she comes up. With, I like that too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> We're fine with that. We Democrats of today of of the of the post Civil War era. Go, go ahead, take those down. Um, so. So since you brought him up, uh, Chris Christie, um, who, as you were pointing out, was almost at the point of complete irrelevance. Is there an opportunity for him not just to hang in there, but to start to to move ahead? I mean, is it this easy? Do you all you have to do is condemn slavery and you, too, can emerge at the front of the pack of Trump challengers? Yes. And so listeners looking for a job that's out there, I I think that. If Christie will certainly try to exploit this as an opening, whether or not it will work uh, remains to be seen. You know, ultimately, the problem with being the anti-Trump candidate, even in a one-on-one theoretical primary after, say, Iowa and New Hampshire, it's it's still a very narrow path, and it's kind of hard to credibly argue that. It's a viable path to beating Trump. It's simply the only path, a one-on-one matchup. But it's certainly not a likely path. What will it take for DeSantis to just pack up his ball in jacks and go home? Um, big losses in Iowa, New Hampshire, by fairly wide margins, and then funding drying up where it becomes clear he just can't continue. Hmm. Hmm. I, I mean, because he's about as pro-slavery as Nikki Haley, maybe more pro-slavery. I mean, it's it's gotten to that point. I, I mean, if, if she's trying to knock him off by proving that she's more pro-slavery than he is, I don't I don't think she's going to win that one. He's even more pro-slavery. Well, no, no one wins in this debate, really. But yeah, I mean, with, especially with DeSantos and the changes that he's made to education in Florida, which which minimizes the horror of slavery and touts how the skills being gained. Um, it, it, I, clearly, the pro, pro-slavery voters in the Republican Party have a lot of options. I, again, I'm, I'm still saying that there are pretty much Trumpers. It is, it, um, it is rather remarkable. The skills thing, by the way, the skills thing is just so weird. It's like saying, you know, it's, it's really amazing the way that the Jews managed to live in the, uh, concentration camps with, with no food. I mean, they really, they acquired some valuable fasting skills there. The whole thing's just absurd. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know. Uh, where, where to the, the compass needle just spins. Like you can't find your true north of weirdness in, in this party anymore. Uh, there used to, it used to be fairly simple. They were just conservative and we were just progressive and, and liberal. But now, um, it's very hard to describe what remains of the Republican party without resorting to name calling because all of the names seem to, to fit so well. Um, I want to ask you some more about Nikki Haley and what she's going to have to do now. If you can stand by, we will talk about this a little bit more. Uh, you're hearing consultant Andre Charles. He does super PAC work. He's the head of Andre Charles consulting. His job is electing Dems to Congress more from him in a moment on the Joan S. Esposito Show. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Terry Ryder. Oh, sweet. 
422. We are Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT. We've been talking about the uh, the Nikki Haley slavery. I don't even what what would you call it? We were talking with Andre Charles. He is the uh, owner of Andre Charles Consulting. They do super PAC work to help elect Dems to Congress. Andre, how would you describe that? What what just went down? A disaster? A sinking? Um, what would be the appropriate? It, it might be Nikki Haley's pre-concession speech. Um, I like that. Her pre-concession yeah. speech. That is very good. That's why we have you on the show. I knew there was a, an excellent, <laughs> several excellent reasons. Does she have any way to extract herself from her self-immolation here? Is there anything she can do? It's very difficult because now she has to explain why she said what she said or why it was misinterpreted or what she really meant was. Oh, she's trying that. She's got the excusomatic going full blast. My favorite from the excusomatic was uh, it was a Democratic plant in the audience, as if that explains anything at all. Well, I would hope if we did have a plant in the audience, we wouldn't ask such an obvious question with no likely benefits unless she makes the mistake she actually did. You know, it's it's just even the explaining explaining tour just highlights that you said something bad. It, it's never a good part of a campaign. And especially because no matter what you say, it's really not going to change mine. Huh. So, so, so there's nothing she could say. I, I, I wanted to be, there's really, you know, now I'm thinking about it. If I were Nikki Haley, what would I say? I did a dumb thing. I thought I could skirt the issue. I mean, the, if you even say it's a sensitive topic, that's already bad news. It shouldn't be a sensitive topic. It should, as you pointed out, be an answered question settled law as they say this is this is not something we should need to there shouldn't even be a scab we could pick off of this it it should just be part of our body politic that we understand that uh, but she wasn't even she can't even say that i mean she can't there's nothing she can say there's nothing at all is there well the one thing she could say is just say i was flat out wrong I made a mistake, and then she could attempt to pivot to why she's running. Um, but you have to have like a really, you know, firm humility and say, "I just made a mistake," and move on. And maybe that works. So if she said, "I made a mistake. I should have answered that question very differently." Uh, I do want people to know that I'm the one who took down the Confederate flag, that I ran as governor. I was governor of a southern state, and I have many constituents of all different um, races and histories who think I did a great job, and I will do a great job for everyone of every race and every economic history when you elect me president. That that might work. That might work. She might even say, you know, as a person of color myself, I understand. But the question is, does she want Republican voters to hear that? Because that's a message for the general election. That's not going to get her a tremendous amount of votes in many of the states uh, that are coming up on the Republican primary side. Yeah. And they, I mean, I'm trying to think now. 
Vivek Ramaswamy, he's northern. Uh, New Jersey is Chris Christie. And everybody else is like the other three are, are southern candidates. And they all have these constituents who think, hmm, slavery, time to bring it back. Yeah. 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 I, I southern, and then, you know, from southern states who are actually probably going to lose their own state. And that's the other thing that um, all of these candidates have uh, to be worried about. You know, four years ago when Rubio lost Florida, he was out. You lose your own state, and it's hard to make a remotely credible argument that you should stay in. Well, I still remember in the general, poor Al Gore losing his home state. You know, oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> just I mean, it, it, it's weird. The national candidates tend to be ahead of the curve of social progress. I think, in general, uh, in the north and even in the the northern south, if there is such a thing. Um, although now we're seeing the southern states sort of drift further and further. Back in history, they, their desire to roll back the clock, they've gone past the 50s now, um, and I guess they're, they're right back in the 1800s. The, the, the 50s wasn't good enough. The veneration of the nuclear family where mom stayed home in an apron and dad went out and, and made a paycheck without the benefit of any kind of higher education that could support everybody right, you know, right through their entire lives and that you could pay for your own health care because there was no such thing as a hip replacement that would cost you 20 years of your salary, uh, and everybody died at 65, they've gone past that. Mm. Now they want to go back mm. to the era of smallpox and, uh, and, and cowpox and a pox pox on everyone who isn't white. So, yeah, I think, I think you've pretty well put it nicely for us, Andre. Thank you so much for spending time on the show today. I am deeply appreciative. I know you're getting into your election season, so it's getting getting busy for you. So thank you very much. That, well, it was tr- truly a pleasure and delight to be here. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Andre Charles Consulting, he uh, runs Super PACs, consults them to help elect Democrats to Congress. In a moment, the reprise of my favorite law professor of all time, because we did not get to do a silly law constitutional review of what laws went well, what cases went poorly uh, this past year. And that was why I had asked him to come in the first place. And we never got to do that because we were talking about uh, kicking Trump off the ballot. And he kindly agreed to give another half hour of his vacation time to us. And I'm going to take it because that's just the kind of girl I am. The Joan Esposito Show on WCPT. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Turi Ryder. I love being announced like that. Can I just say, I love that. It took so long. Radio personality, that's been years. But author, that was that was just, that feels like yesterday. If you're curious about the book, by the way, you can just Google my name, Turi, T-U-R-I, Ryder, like the truck, and then book. It'll come up. Or even if you just put my name in, it shouldn't be hard. Uh, rejoining us 
because I just adore talking to him and because we had originally given him the task of reviewing the wacky legal cases that came down the pike this year, professor and lawyer extraordinaire David Levine, um, who we wasted, well, I shouldn't say we wasted, we frittered, no, we didn't fritter, uh, we used, we commandeered uh, you for the first part of the show to talk about the Trump ballot kerfuffle. Um, and now I want to ask you, welcome back, first of all, and, and what were some Thank of you. the cases that went through the courts this year where you just went, wow, or that's a good one, or that that is a scary thing? What, what were your faves? Well, I think one that is coming up uh, pretty soon is the question of whether Mr. Trump uh, does enjoy what he's calling presidential immunity. Uh, that's the that's the an appeal from the case in Washington. Yes. Uh, re- basically regarding January 6th. And the trial judge rejected that. Uh, the, the D.C. Circuit, uh, the next court up has that on a fast track, and I believe they're going to hear the case on January 9th. That's the one where the Supreme Court declined to intervene at this point. They may come in later, but they decided not to jump the uh, queue and take the case away from the Court of Appeals. So we will be uh, seeing which way the Court of Appeals is leaning, I guess, after the 9th, after the oral argument. So that one is really going to be fascinating, because uh, if there's something to that claim, uh, of, of absolute presidential immunity, that basically for the four years, uh, anything you do uh, is uh, immune from later prosecution. That would be a pretty stunning result. Yeah, and it would have uh, been. It would have been nice for uh, Dick Nixon to have known that back in the day. You know, spinning right. in his grave, right. Nixon and Ford right. both right. spinning, spinning. Right. Yes. That's okay. Right. That's quite right. So that one is a really interesting one. Uh, uh, that where we'll see the other one that's going to be coming up in January is we're going to be resuming the civil fraud case against the Trump organization in New York, where the possibility is that the Trump organization will lose its licenses to do business in New York. Uh, the uh, senior Trumps, uh, Ms., uh, Mr. Trump himself and uh, the uh, at least the two uh, older guys, uh, Eric and Don Jr., yes. be disqualified from serving on New York corporations, plus the New York Attorney General is looking for more than a quarter of a million, a quarter of a a billion dollars. I just thought of uh, something. You just made me think of something. Would would Barron, could he just sneakily just make him like the infant king? Could could he give it all to Barron Hirsch, uh, Hirsch, Barron, her uh, Trump, uh, the 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 child? The, t- the child, if he wanted to? Well, they, uh, they kind of got caught moving some uh, assets around before, and that got stopped uh, in the mid in in the process of this case. So uh, you could you could imagine uh, Barron or Ivanka handling some of the Florida assets later on. Oh no, no, uh, I that mean, might happen. I mean, if but- they ban Junior and Eric. Um, but you point out the older ones are, are going to be forbidden from operating in New York. Could he say, well, okay, we'll just have Barron do it? Well, it depends on what happens to the organization, because the organization might lose its right 
to uh, to do business in New York. That's part of what the New York Attorney General is okay. looking for. Got it. So while it is true that neither Barron, Tiffany, and Ivanka uh, would not be subject to any ruling coming out of that New York trial court, uh, still the Trump Organization probably is going to be forbidden from doing business in New York. And given the financial capital of the world is rather important to the kind of businesses they do, it might be tough. To I do business tough, otherwise, but, but not impossible. But not, not impossible if not you're impossible. if you're willing not to impossible. be sneaky about it. Change the names, right. move things around. I mean, the weird part, since we're talking about this, the case is coming up. It and you are probably comfortable with this because you've been watching it for years. But if you absolutely have no moral compass and the courts mean nothing to you, you can pretty much do. Almost anything you like, if you're willing to operate in a way that just thinks the law doesn't apply to you, and and people will go along with it for a, a, an well, unbelievably long amount of time. For a long period of time, that's true. Uh, that it's possible to push and push. I mean, you know, the thing about the law is that the law operates because most people decide, oh, I better operate within the law as right. best I can. Right. Uh, but but if that doesn't deter you, then yeah, you can go you can go very far. Now eventually you're gonna get caught up uh one way or another. Uh but uh but yeah you it, it is true. You can go very far. I mean you start as small as uh you quote unquote forgot uh, to go uh, 25 miles an hour in a 25-mile zone, and you went 35 miles an hour, and you can go up the scale from there. I mean, it does it does happen, but but you know we're obviously witnessing an extreme case. Well, with, that's uh, Mr. Trump. sort of why. Yeah, that's why the the country is coming apart at the seams because people found out what it's like that Maserati that exploded on the International Bridge. If you've got a car oh, yes. that can go 300 miles an hour and nobody nobody stops you, you will go 300 miles an hour until you take off and burst into flames. And it's all of a sudden like this country is being driven 300 miles an hour until we take off and explode in a ball of flame. I I, I don't. Sometimes it seems that way. Yes. Sometimes, sometimes it does. But fortunately, most people, most of the time, operate within basically the parameters of the law, right? You don't have that many people going, you know, that, I mean, that's like that insane crash in Niagara Falls. Uh, even if somebody's car can go that fast, they don't go that fast. And see, we get back to that just because you can doesn't mean you should thing again. So, okay, co- exactly. cases that were decided this past year, which, which stuck in your mind or in your craw? Uh, let's see. Uh, well, I mean, again, sort of the process cases. I mean, if we're sticking with the Trump cases, I think it was interesting that uh, the the people who pled guilty in Georgia uh, got off with such light sentences. Uh, they they really got a big break uh, in those, and in particular, I don't know if you saw the very terse apologies to the George, to people of Georgia that a couple of the people who pled guilty ended up writing. Yeah, it really didn't oh, mean anything. Those were um, so know, that, that, horrifying. I, I mean, it was like they were wearing a button that said, you can't make me. Right, right, right. They got a very good deal. By pleading guilty early, they got a good deal. Now, it may be that their cooperation later will be instrumental when the other people are put on trial. But for the moment, it looks like they got an awfully good deal. And, uh, it, it, you know, you know that other defendants who had done anything like this would not have gotten 
such good deals. So as what you're saying is either they gave some really helpful information or if they didn't give a lot of really helpful information, what do you glean from these very light sentences and these ridiculously skinny apologies? Uh, Well, I mean, one possibility is just that the cases had some problems and the prosecutor didn't want to take a chance uh-huh. uh, with trying with trying those. And those were the first those were supposed to be the first cases and, uh, of the 19 people in Georgia. And you sure don't want to lose coming out of the box. Right. So it may have been that it was just the better part of valor to sign off on those cases. My hunch is that they will be providing some very, very useful information and that that's why the deal was as sweet as it was. But that would mean we'll more see, to me we'll than an apology. I, I would rather have the serious yeah. information. And, you you know, if you gave me the choice as if I were the ruler of America and, and uh, the judge could either have all kinds of dirt on Trump and his organization or a really fancy and heartbreaking apology. I would rather the right. apology sounded like a Bronx cheer, just a big <laughs> to you and yeah, then give right, me all right. the information. That's what I would like. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. 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 But we'll see. We'll see later, you know, later in the year, we will see. And then another one, again, it's, it's saying within the Trump orbit is it's been disappointing to see how slowly the case in Florida has been moving. That's the case involving the documents that were uh, taken from the White House, the confidential documents, and then stored in such a ridiculous way in Mar-a-Lago. Um, and so that that case needs to be moving along. And the judge doesn't seem to be pushing it the way the way she should. That's that well, is another one that is disappointing. Let, let's talk about that judge a little bit, shall we? Come on, you guys. Sure. You, you, we got nothing to lose here. She came sure. out of a decent law school. She's a Trump appointee. She has no experience really running this kind of a trial. Um, if if you could peek inside her brain, what do you suppose she thinks her greater purpose is right now? Uh, well, it, I mean, it seems like uh, several of the rulings, uh, the, the early rulings seemed like she was being completely pro-Trump until the 11th Circuit knocked her down. Uh, and then these, and, to, and then when she first got the, got the case back, it seemed like she was making reasonable rulings. But every ruling since then has been uh, to try to slow the case down, to not push it. And it's very, it's so different than the case in Georgia and then in Washington. So... Is she doing it because she dreams of getting on the Supreme Court? Because uh, if Mr. Trump comes back, she'll be on the short list. I don't know. I don't know. She has good, you know, she did have good experience in the in the uh, United States Attorney's Office. You know, she's a qualified person, uh, and there are those who have appeared before her who think she's okay. But it's been disappointing to see what she's done so far. I, by the way, I love the sound of the tropics behind you. I, I can hear oh, Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, this, I love a, it. Right, exactly. There's, I, a water, there's a waterfall in the waterfall in the pool. That's what you're hearing. Ah, I hear. I thought it was tropical birds. Don't oh. disabuse me of my fantasy here. Right. Okay, all right. Fair so, enough. All so right. this I'll see judge, if I get some birds. This, this, yeah, get some birds or some of those chickens. We've all talked about the Hawaiian right, I chickens. I around. see one of the Kauai chickens. It's, there's a Kauai chicken running my way about five feet away. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I have not been to Hawaii, but I, I think that that one of the charms would probably be the um, the foliage denuding chickens. I know what chickens can do to right. a yard because we keep them. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, okay. These are protected. They're ba- protected by law here. Back so to the, everywhere. back to, yeah, you know what? If I were a hungry person, I, I would say, go ahead and stop <laughs> me. Anyway, so back to the judge in Florida. 
You, you think yeah. that it's possible she's hoping that if Trump wins the election, she might get some sort of Supreme Court appointment? Um, I just wonder. Yeah, I just wonder. There's a couple others who uh, who are Trump appointees who sure look like they're applying for higher office by some of their decisions. Uh, and it's possible that she's one of those. I don't I don't know. I think of course we don't have been know. clearer in that direction. We, but, we don't. Know. But we can get but, out but the speculator. Yeah. We can get the speculator yeah. out. Yeah. We love the speculator around here. It is my favorite tool. I, li- I like it better than than my car, the speculator. OK, so yeah. let's and so differently and compared to all the other judges that have handled the cases in New York, Georgia and Washington. It just it's just odd how differently she's been uh, now, handling it. Isn't there if she keeps getting overturned by the circuit, doesn't that start to look bad for her? And what is her name? This judge? I cannot remember her oh, name. Eileen Cannon. Eileen Cannon, the judge in the in Cannon. 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 Yeah. Cannon. Cannon. Like Cannonball. Okay, Cannon, as if she has been shot out of A, which is sort of the way she looked the first few days she was on the Trump trial. So she's the one who feels like you should be able to probably store your national security documents in your glove compartment with your car unlocked from the sound of her. Well, we'll we'll see. I mean, she has has so far been very indulgent, let's say, in terms of that position. So we'll see at the end of the day what happens. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised um, if she simply sent Trump to Costco with, with, with a gift card for a bunch of those file storage plastic containers and called it a day. But if she gets, if she gets over, if, if, she, if her rulings keep getting overturned at the 11th Circuit, which is who sits over her, as you mentioned, right. do, does she not start to uh, lose prestige in the eyes of her fellow jurists? Does she not care? Does she just feel like she could just go around them on her path to Supreme Court glory like, oh, some other Supreme Court justices we could mention? Well, um, you know, it would, in part, it would depend on which which 11th Circuit judges, over, you know, hypothetically ruled her. Uh, where she might wear it as a badge of honor as much as anything. Uh, so, so it wouldn't necessarily be bad for this career move we're, hypo- we're hypothesizing. Oh my gosh. Um, now, in the normal, in the normal world, right, no, no trial judge likes to get reversed by their, uh, circuit superiors. Uh, it, it within the judicial world, you know, and certainly you don't want to be hit with, with opinions that are, you know, kind of, uh, that you can see the uh, appellate judges slapping their foreheads saying, what's wrong with you? Uh, don't want that to happen too often. Uh, we call that being bench slapped. Uh-huh. Uh, but but um, the, and in the worst case is that, is that uh, she could be removed from the case. But so far, she's only been making scheduling decisions, which are well within her purview. She's done nothing that is actually appealable at this point in the case, which is why uh, Jack Smith has not tried to get her, uh, tried to appeal her, or tried to get her knocked off. Uh, at some point, maybe he, she would make such a ruling, but so far she has not. So he's it's he's just, waiting. You know, he's waiting for her it, to right, right, okay. Right, right. So hold on another right, second exactly. because I need some other cases that I can look back on the year we just had, where I, I want to remember them either for good or for ill, um, and okay. we we will ask you of those in 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 a moment. We are WCPT okay, Chicago's Progressive Talk. I am Tory Ryder in for Joan Esposito, and don't forget Patty Vasquez who cracked me 
up on my drive home last night, and you're going to want the same from her. She will be in at 5 on Chicago's Progressive Talk, live, local, and progressive. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Filling in today for Joan, radio personality and author, Surrey Ryder. It is absolutely true that I'm only filling in for Joan. She comes back the 8th. With me now, uh, professor, legal expert, uh, UC Hastings law professor, David Levine. Some uh, some looking back over cases, uh, possibly future cases that will be studied, uh, the legendary and, and the loathsome. Uh, David, welcome back, and uh, thank you. Thank you. So, so... What should we look back on and say, okay, we're going to keep a watch on that, or that was horrible, or that was wonderful? What were the ones of the last year? Sure. Okay. Let's take let's take a couple uh, which are coming up in front of the Supreme Court where uh, I think they would qualify. So uh, let's take some rather uncontroversial issues. Abortion or Second Amendment? Your choice. Oh, Lord. Uh, abortion. <laughs> let's start there since I, I used to use my uterus. Let's try that. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so there's a case that came out of Amarillo, Texas, where a Trump judge uh, said that the FDA was wrong to approve mifepristone, which is one of the drugs that yes. is used yes. uh, to uh, for the vast majority of abortions these days in the United States, because most of them occur in the first trimester. Uh, and the Fifth Circuit approved uh, mo- much of what uh, Judge Kaczmarek did in that decision, not all of it, but some. And then the Supreme Court took up the case. Uh, so we're currently operating under rules where it is more restrictive than it was in terms of using mifepristone. Is this, uh, is this the one where the judge said that the, that the use was not what it was approved for and therefore it could not be um, used in this way because it hadn't been properly tested for this use? Uh, basically, right. Bas- basically, that's right. And even though, and what the judge was doing is trying to go into the wayback machine and say, as of the date twenty plus years ago that the FDA first approved the drug, they didn't properly test, ignoring that we've had two decades of very, very successful use of mifepristone. It's an incredibly safe drug to use, um, and they've also run roughshod over the. That the plaintiffs who brought the case to try and challenge the use of mifepristone have absolutely no business being in court because their case is so gossamer thin. So the Supreme Court took the case. Um, they, the right result is for them to knock the case out on the basis of the fact that the plaintiffs should not have been allowed to stay in federal court. But we'll see. The Supreme but, but Court then, did take up the case. Wouldn't it begin? It. Wouldn't it begin all over again then with a different case saying, "Okay, well, uh, these people might not have had any standing, but but this this case over here does," and then the whole thing starts all over again. I mean, it strikes me. Well, it might, but but it's hard to find. It's hard to find plaintiffs who would qualify is the problem. They tried, and if these plaintiffs were the best they could come up with, it's hard to see how you're going to come up with, with a plaintiff who really would qualify. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I seem to remember that there was some legal group going after uh, women saying, hey, would you be willing to say that, that this was a problem for you? And yeah. I, I think yeah. that some of the women that they recruited had, had not even used the drug, if, if memory serves. 
Right, right. I mean, the the, the plaintiffs were just just ridiculous plaintiffs for this for for purposes of bringing a real case in federal court. And so that's I mean, the right result, as I said, the Supreme Court is that they should just dismiss the case and not have to face the question of whether the FDA acted properly or not. But then the fallback would be to look at what the FDA did. So that's one. That's one. So that the question of whether women are going to be able to use the safest means of abortion and the most common means of abortion, uh, that's a pretty big case. And then the other one, the other choice I was going to give you is the Second Amendment case. is a case that uh, has been argued but not yet decided in the Supreme Court, where, again, coming out of Texas, uh, what a what a uh, again the Trump judge decided was that a person who uh, had a, violated a domestic violence order, which included the requirement that he not have guns, oh, uh, yeah. repeatedly violated repeatedly violated that. And the trial judge, and then again the Fifth Circuit, basically ruled: Well, since it wasn't illegal to beat your wife uh, back in the 1790s when the Second Amendment was passed, we can't ban. Uh, people from having guns just because of a little thing like a domestic violence order. Now, it looks like the Supreme Court is rather uncomfortable with that possibility. Now, we don't have an opinion from them yet, but it may be that they're going to roll that one back a bit. Uh, but it's it's the logic of the uh, Clarence Thomas written Second Amendment yeah, case. The, the strict a years constitutionalists ago. is, I believe, yeah, what they. Right. Yes, that's just exactly. so bizarre. Exactly. I mean, yeah. to to sit here from a layperson's standpoint, I mean, any yeah. any law then that that co- covers telecommunications that disappears. Any law that I mean, I just can't even imagine. But then again, we have a Supreme Court that does things where you think, I just can't even imagine. And then they go ahead and do it. Right. So, right. Well, that's right. That's that was their logic. Um, but but we'll so we'll see. We'll see if they back off from that, because it did seem that several of them were rather disturbed by that kind of an implication that you could end up with somebody uh, not, you know, not not being subject to a an order that would include, you know, not only stay away from your spouse or your your partner, but and don't have guns. I mean, that, that guy is like the worst ever. Uh, he violated the order with impunity many times, shot well, guns off. Et so there's there's an example of, of a case where it's really clear. It's the opposite of the Mephapristone case. I mean, there's real standing. So. Um, and, oh yes! Oh and, yeah! 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 No, that's a, that's a real solid case. Uh, now he cha- see what happened is he challenged his he challenged the the order because uh, the judge uh, wanted to punish him for the or- for violating the order, and then he's defending on the basis of say of um, you know saying you can't do this to me. It's illegal to do this to me. Right. Now there's a fun little. There's a, I'm going to jump on jump topics on you, but just there's a fun little twist to the Hunter Biden case on this because remember one of the charges against hunter biden is that he lied uh about uh to try to get a gun yes and that it had to do with that he was currently uh addicted to drugs yes and the uh you know the republicans were all excited that he's been charged in delaware with that uh, violation but in fact uh, if you're going to take this uh, rather strong second amendment uh view uh, they all ought to be saying free hunter because it was simply that he was a drug addict. 
Oh, and, and there's was, uh, there's no rule in the Constitution that says you can't buy a gun if you're a drug addict, is what you're telling me. Back in the 1700s, you could smoke all right, the exactly. opium you wanted and still own a gun. Yeah. Oh, this is beautiful. Exactly. Well, I think that's yeah, the so perfect we'll place. We'll see where that one goes. Perfect place to leave it. Thank you so much, okay. Professor David Levine. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And all your listeners. Thank all you. Right. Thank you. Okay. That's uh, David Levine, and I'll be here Saturday for Edwin. Eisendrath and Patty's next. Thank you so much for being with us.